This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Gail Hammerschmidt talks about seeking happiness. What is happiness? How does the culture interfere with true happiness? Well, let's find out. Father Gale is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. And so this morning we welcome in Father Gale Hammerschmidt, the oldest of four children born to Denny and Vicki Hammerschmidt, formerly of Hayes and now living in Manhattan. At age 33, after being a teacher for several years, Father Gale entered the seminary, graduated from St. John Theological Seminary in, and I'm going to ask him what year that was. What year, Father? I entered the seminary in 2005. 2005, and graduated from there in what year? Uh, 2000, well, I was ordained in 2012. Okay. Father Gale, now the pastor of what is commonly known as St. Isidore's Catholic Student Center in Manhattan and is the co-director of vocations for the Salina Diocese. We welcome in Father Gale Hammerschmidt. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Great. Thanks for thanks for having me. I always uh, enjoy being on the show. It's been a while since you've been on with us, so I was wondering what, what that was all about. Well, I moved, and people stopped, people stopped asking. <laughs> I think everybody in Ellis County grew tired of me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was the case. We're going to talk today about happiness at all costs. The topic came up uh, on happiness at all costs because Donetta sent you a blog on a lady who wanted to divorce her husband because her husband was boring. And when a fellow Catholic parishioner challenged her that having a boring husband was not grounds for divorce, the lady got angry and said, uh, don't you want me to be happy? And what is happiness? And how would you describe it? So let's just kind of break that down a little bit and talk about that situation. Uh, happiness at all costs. And I'm going to let you kind of sure give us your thoughts Thanks. on that. Yeah, uh, the the blog that Donetta sent me, I have uh, now read through a, a number of times, and I, f- I find it to be an intriguing story. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about what, what was going on in the midst of the story. It's this, these two parishioners that seemed to be having this conversation. It was maybe their third conversation that they had ever had. And it seems as though this woman brings up the fact that she wants to divorce her husband. Uh, she didn't plan to marry again. She just wants the divorce so that she can be away from this guy <laughs> and find happiness. And uh, the fellow the parishioner, the author of this blog, he then challenged her and said, you know, you, you can't do that. Uh, you kind of have this obligation as a Catholic to continue working through this till death do us part kind of thing and not just neglect and separate yourself from this person for no real solid reason. I mean, maybe in the midst of a danger or something like that, you know, if he was like threatening to kill her, I mean, there's, or if he was preventing her from following her death, but it wasn't any of that. He was boring. So because he was boring, I think they'd been married for 35 years, she says, well, I'm going to leave him. I want a divorce. And, and the author of the blog then challenged her on it. And after a little bit of uh, heated speech, it sounds like they were yelling at each other. Or she was yelling at him, according to the blog. She says, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve to be happy? Um, an interesting question. I think that's kind of what the heart of even our our hour here today will be kind of looking at. Do we deserve to be happy? And uh, 
then the, the author continues for the rest of the blog, and in fact, his very next line is, well, no, no one deserves to be happy. Why would, you, why would anyone think otherwise? Now, the, the, the wild thing about the rest of this blog is that I don't fully agree with the author. I would almost say that the author gets it wrong on a number of occasions, and he starts to kind of correlate happiness to hedonism, meaning pleasure-seeking. Pleasure and I think that's a, a poor definition of, of happiness, if you're only considering it to be pleasure-seeking or, or hedonism or trying to separate yourself from somebody that's boring. Uh, and so I know that um, the, the question that you asked me had a, a number of parts, you know, uh, what is happiness, how would I describe it, is happiness what we should be striving for in life no matter how it affects others, those kinds of questions. And at the end of the day, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to the fact that happiness is what we should be striving for in life, no matter how it affects others. I'm going to say yes to that, because I think we have to get the, the definition correct first. Uh, even the word beatitudo in Latin, which can be translated uh, many times like blessedness, the, the, the beatitudes, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 5, would say blessed are the you know poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the the you know whatever the I should I guess I should learn my beatitudes a little bit better here. <laughs> uh, but but what it's saying is is blessed are those who who lay down their lives for others. The same word throughout the centuries has been translated also happy, happy, blessedness, happiness. Robert Spitzer, Father Robert Spitzer. He is a former president of Gonzaga University. Uh, he put forth, and he's got a, the Spitzer Center, I think, for research and stuff. I, I don't fully, if you, if you Google the name Robert Spitzer, you would find out a lot about him. He's, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. I think a man, a man that we all should be reading more of. He, he's got some shows on EWTN, for example. He has a lot to do with just science and uh, using science to help us see the faith uh, as, it, as it's put forth by God and how the two go hand in hand. So Robert Spitzer is a great man, uh, Father Robert Spitzer, a man that people should be, be looking into. But he talks about four levels of happiness. And I uh, think that, that it's important maybe to look at these levels. And there's four levels. Uh, we, we did a workshop with his institute, the Priests of the Sina Diocese, about two years ago. And it said, uh, the workshop started, and we just had, we're told, write down 10 things that make you happy. 10 things that make you happy. And so we started writing things down, okay? And, and some people put things like cheeseburgers. <laughs> uh, other people might put things like, um, you know, a, a nice drink or uh, playing golf. Somebody might say, you know, winning at chess. Uh, then you would have other people that say, you know, obviously caring for a sick person, going to the hospital and anointing somebody, a priest would say, that, that makes me happy. And then prayer. Maybe, maybe somebody would say, you know what, I find this sense of contentment, this happiness in prayer. And then he had us, at the Institute had us take those ten things that we wrote down and taught us the four levels of happiness. 
And what we all found is that out of our 10 things, we had some that were at each level. And each level is okay. It's okay. Uh, the first would be, uh, you can, there's, there's some Latin words that go with it, but there's also just a, kind of a breakdown in uh, English. So the first level would be something called latus, and it deals with the senses. It deals with immediate gratification, right? Uh, not wrong, not wrong in many situations. I'm sitting in an air-conditioned room right now because it deals with the senses. I'd rather be in an air-conditioned room than not. And so there's, there's many things that we do. We buy soft clothing as opposed to itchy clothing because of that same reason. Um, so there's, there's nothing wrong with that unless we become too attached to things like that. That's the first level, the level that deals with immediate gratification. Second level has to do with personal achievement. Um, you know, winning a chess, getting good at a sport, being one of the, the top in your field at, at work. All of these things give us meaning to life. They're all important in life. You know, for living without a desire for personal achievement, it's going to go wrong. And so that'd be the second level of happiness. Now, if we are doing uh, some messed up stuff to, to gain an advantage over somebody else so that we can have this personal achievement, well, there's a problem there. That's the second level is, is personal achievement. So first level, immediate gratification. Second level of happiness, personal achievement. Third level of, of happiness is, is a contributive level, meaning that you're giving of yourself for someone else. You are you know, looking out for, for justice, for, for love, for community, um, those, those sorts of things. What can I do to, you know, anointing somebody who's dying, giving away yourself for the good of another? That's what we would call a beatitudo. That would be the blessedness part if you're looking down the line in the Latin. The second level, the, the comparative, the personal achievement would be called a Felix, Felix, which is actually my grandfather's uh, first name. So my grandfather was named Happiness, uh, Felix. That's an interesting thing to think about. And then uh, fourth level, the final level, is like this sublime beatitudo. Uh, it's the ultimate good, and this is like union with God, union with God. That's the highest level of happiness, union with God. So the, 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 the second highest level of happiness is laying down one's life for another, but then the, the highest level of happiness is union with God. And all of those things are under the umbrella of happiness. So do I deserve to be happy? Well, I don't like the word deserve. I think that, that should be thrown out. Um, should I be seeking happiness in life? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've got, I've got a lot to say here, but I want you to, to we'll have a, this conversation. I'd rather not just be me with a monologue, because we don't need to move on to the next question yet. But I'm interested to hear what you're thinking of, of these things that I've said so far. Well, and I'm writing these down, and I got uh, I, I was writing down the uh, the uh, you said the Latin. Uh, what was the fourth? I know you said union with God. Yeah. What was the, the? What I was looking at. So the fourth, the fourth is union with God, and it's just the Latin terms that it was. I don't know why, but it just said more like a sublime. Beatitudo. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And, and again, I think they've taken what Robert Spitzer has done, the article I was reading, and just tried to uh, assign the Latin words to it. I, this was a very kind of uh, haphazard search for the Latin words for Robert Spitzer's. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't spend more than a half hour researching this. I think you probably could find even uh, a better 
presentation of sure. this than what I gave it. Yeah, and, and, uh, and yeah, Father Robert Spitzer, brilliant, like you said, uh, Father Spitzer's universe, which is quite. Um, sometimes yeah. I'm just I listen to that and I'm going, oh my gosh, this guy is just incredible. I like the way, I guess one of the things you talked about, immediate gratification, I, I get where you're coming from there, because sometimes we think of immediate gratification as a bad thing, but it's not always the case. But um, I'm going to let you continue and talk more about uh, some of that, uh, kind of into the next segment of that question. Sure, you bet. Yeah, so uh, we do get in trouble when when all we are about is immediate gratification. I think I'd heard it described one time that, uh, you know, the pleasure lasts only as long as that act which gives us pleasure is taking place. But then, uh, for example, I just had myself uh, for breakfast an oatmeal cream pie. (laughs) 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 It was great. (laughs) But the pleasure of that oatmeal cream pie has now passed, and I'm not experiencing the pleasure anymore. Luckily, I still have coffee with me here. And that's fine, you know, those things are fine. But, but they don't give us any kind of a, a deeper contentment. And so when our life is only based upon, upon pleasure-seeking, uh, we're going to have trouble. Uh, some of the, the great things in life are pleasurable, you know. Uh, the, the, the marital act is pleasurable. And uh, just because something provides pleasure doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. But again, it has to be in all things moderation, and, and, and knowing where it falls in line, you know, where, it's, where is its place. If, if I was to eat 74 uh, of those oatmeal cream pies, you know, while talking to you here, well, we'd have a problem. Why? Well, no moderation. And uh, it doesn't fall, you know, that would be a, outside of where eating and receiving pleasure from eating is supposed to fall. Same kind of things with, uh, with maybe sexual pleasure that if it's not underneath God's plan for the, the marital act, then problematic. And, in fact, it can even sap us of our happiness. Uh, pleasure-seeking can be good, but if it falls outside of, of God's plan for it, then it robs us of, of the higher levels of, of happiness. Yeah, so that, that's enough on that. I would say that uh, uh, maybe a, if you're wanting to know kind of where do, I, where do I really look to get this definition of happiness? I would say go to John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. Uh, this would have been perhaps the first scripture passage that I would have ever memorized. I, don't, I haven't memorized a whole lot of them. Uh, luckily, I have Bibles generally in front of me, so I don't have to memorize everything. <laughs> <laughs> but this uh, passage, I think, is just incredible. Uh, John chapter 15 says, As the Father loves me... I love you, remain in my love. Sometimes some translations say abide in my love. And then it goes on, and if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so in those mere five verses, I think it gives you the entire recipe for happiness. It starts with this idea of abiding in his love, like unifying ourselves. That's the highest level. That's the ultimate good. It is characterized by by goodness, by truth, by beauty. But more it's characterized by union with God, 
uh, it can be found in, in prayer. Uh, it'll be ultimately found in heaven. And so that talks about abiding in, in God's love. Uh, even in, in John chapter 6, John would use that word abide in talking about the reception of the Eucharist. And so it's just a powerful word, and it talks about the fourth level, that is the ultimate good, fourth level of happiness. And, and he even says, and I'm telling you these things, follow my commandments, and remain in my love. I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He wants us to be, to be joyful. And, and I've heard people separate out the word joy. Well, joy means this, and happiness means this. We should be seeking joy but not happiness. I think that's, that's probably just a little bit too confusing, and, and especially then if you also look at the fact that forever the word beatitude has been translated happy into English. Uh, in, in, in many situations, I think it's, it's not overly helpful to try and separate joy from happiness. They all kind of have to do with this. But what level of joy are you talking about? What level of happiness are you talking about? And then the final thing, it says no one has a greater love than this, but to lay down one's life. And that's that third level of contributive, the doing of something good for, for others. And so if you want to know what happiness is, if you're seeking happiness, if you want to know what it is, look to John 15, and then rest assured that God wants you to have that. So what does it look like? What does it mean? It means this. And here's, here's a shorter definition that I found to also be very, very good in another article I was reading this week by a woman named Constance Hull. And she says, it's this, happiness is a letting go and a relinquishment of self to God's divine plan. Good. That's good stuff right there. Well, and what, and sometimes God's divine plan includes an oatmeal cream pie. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about joy as I was thinking about this because I, I think about people who, you know, you, you talk about um, a lot of times I guess I use nuns as an example, a group of nuns that are just so filled with joy. Their their devotion is to God. They're happy serving God, but they're they're happy. The happiness comes from doing the will of God. Uh, a lot of people, I think, kind of have a struggle understanding that. I do prison ministry, and there's times guys say to me that the Catholic Church just has so many rules. And I try to explain to them, you know, it's, I said, if, if it's all for our happiness, because, for example, I said, I use this, I say, if you're driving down a dirt road, a dark country road, and you're, there's a curve sign up ahead telling you, slow down, here's a curve. If you miss that curve, you go over into a deep ravine. Are you glad that sign is there? And they said, well, yeah. I said, if, when you drive down the highway, are you glad that there are those stripes on the highway to keep you between the, you know, out of the ditch? Well, yeah. I said, that's really where we are with, with, with God and God's love for us. We have that direction. We can move from point A to point B and the whole, the the idea of having those signs if you will or the again the the as they say there's so many rules well that keeps us out of the ditches it keeps us from going going over uh, a steep um you know into a into a deep ravine and and that's really we can still go from point a to point b and i think that's where we find that happiness is by understanding and living um god's will and that happiness because is there, and that happiness, you know, is joy, as, as we as you talked about. Kind of separating the two is kind of tough because people that are joy filled um, are really are those people that seem to be living God's will. Yeah, the, the, kind of even back to that lady that, that wanted the divorce. Well, at the end of the day, she thought that separating from her boring husband 
was going to lead her to happiness, but it wouldn't have. It would not have done so. <laughs> that would have only made her more miserable. And, and so I, I do appreciate this gentleman challenging her, you know, to, hey, this is a self-sacrificial love that you're called to within a marriage, even if you find him boring. Uh, there's probably a lot to be said about her as well. When I used to be a school teacher, I would tell people, if you find this boring, it's probably because you're boring. Let that mind of yours become imaginative and let, let some of these things um, captivate you. And, and even with a spouse, sometimes you have to find ways to let your spouse captivate you uh, in new ways so as to, to continue the, the beauty of that, that relationship, that marriage. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny, too, that article, the blog, it says, seeking happiness at all costs will cost you everything. And, and what the, the author was saying in, in that little tagline was, it'll cost you everything. You'll be, if seeking happiness at all costs will make you the most miserable person on earth. But I like it uh, to think of this, that tagline even in another way, which is, seeking happiness at all costs, it will cost you everything in regards to the constant whole definition, which is, yeah, because happiness is a letting go. It's a relinquishment of self to abide in the plan that God has for you. And that's where we find happiness. Well, one of the other things in February, there was an article on happiness in psychology today. It states that in your own truth, after all, it says you have to be comfortable in your own skin. How is everything, having their own truth, not a good prescription for happiness? And I, I guess the question becomes, again, this, this, this article in Psychology Today is be comfortable in your own skin. And how is everyone having their own truth not a good prescription to happiness? I know we all seem to think that, uh, not we all, but many people seem to think that, you know, their own formula for happiness is something that's going to work for them. So many times, I guess, I want to jump back to the point that, and I think it was even Tom Brady talked about, you know, he had everything. He was winning. He had Super Bowl rings. He had, you know, everything he could want. He had all the money in the world, everything he needed, but there was still something missing. He truly wasn't happy. And uh, I think it was then that he realized that really God wasn't in his life. So um, let's talk about that just a little bit. Great, great. And, and honestly, what you could tell the story as well, that you found joy, contentment, beatitude, happiness. How? following God's will for your life, even in the midst of this journey that you're on. And so, so thank you for being that, that witness to all of us as well. Thanks. Uh, now, let's go back to, to, to that question. And, and so the, the key line in that question, and I've got it even here in front of me as well, it says that in psych- psychology today, it's stated, to be happy, do this. Here's what you need to do to be happy. You have to own your own truth. Most messed up line on earth, right? <laughs> own your own truth. And so this is, is dealing with the whole topic of relativism, and, and probably is dealing mostly with moral relativism, meaning that you get to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And then once you can do that and be comfortable in your own skin, then you find happiness. But we know that not to be true. <laughs> um, I think I'd heard it said one time, if you ever want proof that the morality of the Catholic Church is right, is correct, all you have to do is look to the misery of those who do not hold to that morality. 
and and as a, a man who hears confessions uh, for hours a week, I would say that's true. And and it's not only in the confessional, but it's also when people call me, maybe even people who aren't Catholic, people who sometimes may not even hold a faith whatsoever, they want to talk to me. A lot of times they talk about their misery, and that misery has come from trying to convince themselves that something is true that simply isn't true. Um, and, and for whatever reason, God created us with this knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. A lot of different topics that you can talk about, a lot of different issues, but our conscience tells us, no, 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 this is right, this is wrong. And, and sometimes we desire to do what's wrong. Perhaps it provides pleasure. Perhaps we think it's going to bring us more happiness than laying down our lives for another, selfishness as opposed to selflessness. And so what do we do? Well, we try to manipulate our conscience. And that's kind of what psychology today is recommending people do. Uh, well, you just have to own your own truth. So you manipulate your conscience, you formulate your own truth, and then, gosh darn it, you go out there and own it, and that'll bring you happiness. It's not true. It's simply not true. Even the people who have deeply manipulated their consciences, and, and, and I don't know, maybe uh, this is uh, an example. When, when I would have prayed outside of abortion clinics in Denver, and then you'd see the, the people protesting us, they deeply manipulated their own conscience, their own knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. I mean, it has to be that way. But you look at uh, many times at the, the faces, and you just see this certain coldness. It's like there's something that has died within to think that, that this kind of a, a thing could become okay. And, and that happens with every sin. It happens with, with every kind of self-deceit that says, no, 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 this is all right. This thing that I'm doing is okay. I mean, even even... Couples living together before marriage, right? They've manipulated their conscience. They've kind of manipulated what they know to be right versus wrong. And, and although they say, oh, no, it's all great. It works for me. There's something that's dying within. It's, it's just the reality of things, that if we walk outside of, of God's path, something is dying within. And that, that sense of something dying within, it doesn't lead us to happiness. It makes us miserable and it makes us cry out to God. All of the great conversion stories are are wrapped around that very principle that I was just speaking of. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or smart speakers, please know. We'll be right back with more about Seeking Happiness with Father Gail Hammerschmidt. on Double-Edged Sword Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Father Gail Hammerschmidt. Seeking Happiness. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Father Gail Hammerschmidt is our guest this morning. Father, one of the things is, is you're talking about this, and I'm thinking about it. Do people, it, well, let's just talk about maybe, um, you know, living together before marriage or whatever the situation is, but do people sometimes, um, I guess, 
it's almost like convincing themselves, hey, this is okay, this is right, and that just be- becomes their reality, and, and it's almost like nothing else can enter in. The truth is, is not within that. The real truth has a hard time getting through to them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like um, we maybe deep down they know that it's wrong, but it's like, well, it feels right, this is good for me, and I'm just going to stick to it. I mean, do we see that happening a lot with people just totally refusing to even look at the truth because what they feel is the truth is is they're okay with that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that <laughs> Satan has a, a strong hand in this as well, and we as humans are pretty good uh, at self-defeat. We have grown to be experts in deceiving ourselves. What is that? Jeremiah 17, I think, says somewhere in there, like, more tortuous, tortuous than anything is the human heart. And beyond remedy, who can understand it? And so it's, it's not uncommon for us to be able to manipulate our own minds, our conscience, to not have a well-formed conscience, and then to continually be entering data. I mean, it, it even has to do with the people you surround yourself with. If these people are also filling your head with these ideas of like, no, 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 what you're doing is good, what you're doing is right, what you're doing is okay, yes patting you on the back for doing something that's wrong, it becomes easier and easier to live outside of God's law. And, and many people do it. But that still doesn't take away the fact that deep down, in those rare moments, sometimes extremely rare moments, they wake up in the middle of the night, they look at themselves in the mirror, they have to shake their head, and they have to know that there's something that is disharmonious. There's no harmony in the way they're living, in the way they're trying to convince themselves. Now, some people will go their entire lifetime doing this, and, and that's what we pray. We pray a lot for God's mercy. <laughs> but, but, yes, it's not uncommon. And so what do we do? Well, we have to try to create those opportunities for those moments in which they recognize the error to be moments that can then uh, expand, to say, okay, there is error. I need conversion. I need mercy. And uh, I need I need the grace of God. I need I need something that's higher than myself. And that, that's why you try and continue, like Bishop Barron's always talking about, you know, goodness, truth, beauty, the transcendentals, and how are we putting forth goodness? How are we putting forth truth? How are we, how are we leading? He always says, lead with beauty. And uh, when people see this beauty, whether it's the beauty of your life, uh, the goodness of your life, then they're going to ask about the truth. And, uh, and so I just I have to believe that within every heart that is, is not living in accordance with God's law, there's something within that, that people recognize that and realize that it's very few people that have become so cold to God's goodness and love that they can't even experience mm. the, 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 the tinge of, of pain that comes from sin. Right. And Father Gail, how can holding on to resentments and anger prevent us from being happy? Obviously, a lot of people can struggle with that and really struggle to let go, um, and that can certainly hinder us. Talk a little about that, if you would. Yeah. The, I mean, if we would go back to even to that, that definition of happiness by this lady, Constance Hull, the definition of happiness, a letting go and a relinquishment. Those are the... the you know, the first six words of that definition, a letting go and a relinquishment of self to God's divine plan. The problem with holding on to resentment is that you're holding on. 
<laughs> you're holding on. And, and so at any given time, we can only be thinking about a certain number of things. And, and honestly, we can only really be thinking about one thing really well, while maybe some other thoughts are kind of entering in and, and passing by uh, the whole multitasking thing. But, but whatever it is that, that we are thinking, we're choosing to think that. This, this is our will is allowing ourselves to continue. And if we hold on to, to these bad thoughts, these thoughts of, that, that will cause anger, these thoughts that will cause uh, even, even resentment, sadness, a desire for revenge, well, that just makes your life miserable, miserable. We, the, the whole idea of justice is an interesting topic. We think that the only way we are going to become happy again after somebody has done some injustice to us, and, and so when we hold on to something, right, when we hold on to resentment, it's probably, or anger, it's probably because an injustice has been done to us, at least a perceived injustice. And so we think that the only way that we could ever be happy again is if that person receives the same kind of injust, uh, injustice. And that's the only just thing we can do. If you hurt me, then you need to be hurt in that same way. Then things are equal again. And, and so we, we live our lives like that. And we hold on and we think that person, I had a, a bunch of other names in my, <laughs> for that person in my head that I couldn't use. Uh, that, that person that hurt me, they deserve to be hurt. And you know, you know what? There's something about that that's pretty natural. That's kind of a, a natural human response. Very natural, honestly. We all have experienced that. I can't believe that person did that to me. I hope that they now feel that same kind of pain that they've caused me. But forgiveness, which is a, a virtue, is something that comes from God, the ability to do that. Well, that just simply says, I, I know that I've been hurt. That person's causing injustice to me, but I don't hold them bound to the same kind of injustice. I, I don't hold them bound to be hurt the way they've hurt me. And, and, and we just release that. We release it. That's what forgiveness is. It's saying I don't hold them accountable to have to be punished the way I've been hurt. And, and it's not natural because naturally we want those people to hurt. It's supernatural. It's above nature. Isn't that something? To be Christian, to be Christ-like, is also to rise above what's natural, to rise above nature. And so I think that that might be something for us to consider. And, and then the whole idea, you know, there's the analogies that say to when you're walking around without uh, forgiving somebody, when you're walking around holding on to resentment, to anger, especially directed to another person, even to God, uh, it's as if that person has crawled upon your back and is weighing you down. That person has, you know, they're fine. That, it, the fact that you haven't forgiven that person isn't affecting that person whatsoever. Uh, in most cases, it's just affecting you. And what's the point? You can't live the full life that, that God desires for you to have. I come so that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. But if we're constantly harboring anger and resentment toward another person, well, then we can't open our heart to the four levels of happiness. We can't open our heart 
to, you know, blessedness or, or you know, self-emptying love. It's just an impossibility. Yeah, that we. I was just actually thinking about that. the The whole idea. So many times, I knew people who really just either hold a grudge or they're not going to forgive. They're angry with somebody, and you know, I had a conversation with a, a, actually an inmate at one point who was really upset with another inmate. Mate, and uh, uh, in his life, and, and or actually wasn't an inmate; it was a family member in his life, and uh, you know, he really just couldn't let go of it. And the, the whole point is, is we, when we talked, I said, that's what's weighing you down. But you, the other person, that person may not even be aware that you're upset or still holding a grudge or not going to forgive. They're really not at all affected by this. It's affecting you personally. And so to that point that you make, it's absolutely a true situation. Father, overall, what is Father Gail Hammerschmidt's prescription for being a happy person? Yeah, I do believe that, that to be happy uh, is to pursue sanctity, to be, to be a saint, to pursue sainthood. <laughs> uh, there's a line that, that Thomas Merton would say, he says, to be a saint is to be yourself. And, and so all of us are called to be saints in a, in a different way. There's, you know, that psychology today, it does talk about being comfortable in your own skin. And there's something about that. Fine, fine. But be comfortable in your own skin in pursuing sanctity and, and pursuing the life that God has put before you. So to be a saint is to be yourself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation, Thomas Merton would continue, is in fact the problem of finding out who you truly are, who God has created you to be, and discovering uh, what that path looks like in your life. And, and that's where happiness is, is going to, to come from. It will always come from, from that, from that. And, and then being, being gentle but not permissive. Um, gentle, I, I, I use that word a lot, gentle, especially in the confessional. Uh, our former bishop and now Archbishop of Oklahoma City, Paul Coakley, he said to the priests one time, he said, Gentlemen, as priests in life, we deal with people, and people are messy. So be gentle. Mm. <laughs> and I've used that in the confessional so many times, mm. especially when people are harboring these resentments. You're like, well, what did you expect? That, <laughs> that person that hurt you is a person. And guess what? People are messy. Uh, even the best of people make mistakes, and sometimes we get hurt. And so we've got to look at the ridiculousness of it all, this whole human project, and say, man, we are so fallen and we hurt each other so much, so we've got to be gentle with other people when they make mistakes, when they hurt us. And we also have to be gentle with ourselves when we make mistakes. How many people do we know that just continually beat themselves up for the mistakes they've made, even though God's mercy has already come down upon them? got to be gentle. You've got to let people love you. You've got to let God love you. All of these things can lead to a deeper sense of contentment, joy, happiness. Um, and, and, and again, I say gentle but not permissive. It doesn't mean that you then say, oh, well, Father said be gentle, so now I'm going to go back to like this self where I'm only pursuing the first couple levels of happiness. You know, I'm going to be the top guy on the block and I'm going to pursue pleasure at all, t at all costs. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but we do know that we fall, and we know that other people fall. And if we uh, take it all so darn seriously, 
Well, I, I don't think that's what, what God intended for us. That's why he's so merciful and calls us to get up and start walking with him in joy, in peace, in harmony, in love, over and over and over again. Uh, great point, Father. One of the things, is, as you're talking about that, and I'm thinking about, you know, I mean, Christ dying on the cross and just continually, you know, um, all that he went through, but yet he was still, you know, forgiving. He was still, he still had a, having his arms outstretched and loving us through all of this. Um, and it's a great example to us. It's, it's not an easy thing. It, you know, we look at him and say, how, do, how is he able to do that? How is he able to forgive um, through all the torture, all the torment, all the things that he went through? It's a great example for us, but we still ourselves struggle with that at times. We want, mm-hmm. just like you said, we want that vengeance. We want to, uh, you know, the old eye for an eye idea, um, you know, and really want that revenge. And it's hard for us to let go sometimes. But Christ is such a great example to us of how we need to live our lives. And, and he went through the ultimate sacrifice for us and still loved us and still cared for us. And, and, and um, you know, we just we this week in the Acts of the Apostles, the story of St. Stephen, you know, right. another example, forgiving uh, even in the midst of perse- persecution, which is an amazing thing. Not an easy thing to do, but certainly a great example and a great uh, way for us to try to live our lives. Yeah, I, I think that I want to create maybe a bumper sticker that says, um, happiness is painful. <laughs> <laughs> Because at times it is, you know, to lay down one's life for another, whether it be in the small ways or whether it be giving the the ultimate uh, gift of one's life, which would be perhaps a a martyr's death. Painful, painful, but even more painful is to not do it because we'd be walking outside of of God's law. Exactly. And so um, it's not always painful, you know. My my oatmeal cream pie that was not painful, um, <laughs> and and you know working with college students here at St. Isidore's at K State, it's not painful. Uh, it, it provides much much enjoyment, pleasure. I, I lay down my life for them, and it provides a lot of pleasure. But not always. Sometimes it can become painful. Uh, if there's something else I'd rather do, but I have to to stop doing that to to maybe just listen to somebody who needs something. But but it can be painful at times, for sure. Yeah, uh, Happiness can be painful. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or smart speaker, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to DV mercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon if you can help keep great shows like double-edged sword on the air then go to dvmercy.com and click on donate you're listening to divine mercy radio 101.7 kjdm salina and lindsberg 88.1 kbdm hayes and 88.1 krtt great band if today you hear his voice harden not your hearts